Welcome to episode 48 of Leading People with me, Jerry Murray. This episode is brought to you by Wide Circle, helping you make better talent decisions. To learn more, visit widecircle.eu. That's W-I-D-E-C-I-R-C-L-E dot E-U. How would you like to be able to ethically change someone's mind about something? How would you like to learn a six-step process that successful influencers such as hostage negotiators, addiction therapists, and even billionaires all use? And how did one man trade a paperclip for a house? These are just some of the questions that I explore with this week's guest, award-winning author and negotiation master, Simon Horton. Simon's latest book is called Change Their Mind, Six Steps to Persuade Anyone, Anytime. And it's packed full of easy-to-use tips, anecdotes, and step-by-step models, such as 11 Ways to Deal with Difficult Behaviour. And, in case you're wondering, these six steps have very little to do with Cialdini's famous Six Principles of Influence and Persuasion. Curious? Let's hear what Simon has to say. Simon Horton, welcome back to Leading People. It's great to be back. Great to be back. Um, So you were one of the first guests when I started the podcast a couple of years back, about nearly two and a half, three years ago now. I've missed you, Gary. I've missed you. (laughs) Oh, you're so sweet. You're so (laughs) sweet. Um, So you were one of the first guests, and then I, I, I invited you back because you published a book a new book, but was it last year, I think, on a topic that is, I think is really highly relevant to managers and leaders, but even more relevant to just the ordinary person in the street. So it's, it's really something that we can all learn to master. But I'll let you introduce the book for our listeners. What's it called? Okay, great. So it's called uh, Change Their Mind, Six Steps to Persuade Anyone, Anytime. Um, and the, the key thing about it is that it's about ethical influencing. There's a lot of interest in the world of influencing these days. It's a very hot topic. But it seems to be that nearly all of the stuff out there is about mind hacks and manipulating, basically manipulating people, tricking them into agreeing with you. And firstly, I don't think that that's right, that the world should be like that. And secondly, uh, Actually, it's not even as powerful as the more authentic approach. So I was trying to bring the ethics back into uh, in, into the world of influencing. Yeah, it, it it doesn't really work that well. That's the the um, no probably the bottom line. Well, what, what I find is that those tricks they they, they work once and once only, and from then on, that person will never trust you. And, you know, you, you've lost that relationship, whereas it's the other way around with the authentic approach to influencing. It works even more powerfully uh, the first time. And now you've got a brilliant working relationship. So it means it'll work again and again and again. Yeah, because I think in one of your earlier books, uh, there, was, there was a great um, three parts to when you took work, when, when some of your early work on negotiation, there was the sort of conversational part. Yeah. Then there was the documentation into an agreement, and then there was the implementation part, yeah, right? Exactly. And, 
if people feel like they've been had to use a kind of slang term, it's not going to really work. You're not going to get the second chance of that, really. No. And that implementation, you know, as you say, that there's the, the the agreement, but if and the conversation and the agreement that comes out of that, and if you've tricked them into it, fine, you might get a signature on that agreement, but the implementation won't be what you expected it to be. They will get their own back in the implementation, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's there's the grand scheme of things with big contracts and everything else. But actually, you're talking in the book, I believe, about lots of very practical things. Give us some examples of where people uh, might uh, use some yeah. of your tips in this book, the six steps. And, and what can readers expect to learn by reading the book? Uh, okay, so what they can expect to learn very briefly is how to influence the other person in an ethical way, in a sustainable way, in a way that, that will get a really deep solution that both sides are really happy with, and to do that and, and to get ambitious outcomes as well, and really encouraging people to be ambitious. Um, and to get those outcomes, those ambitious outcomes, even in extreme circumstances. You know, so often people come back to me and say, Simon, I tried everything, but nothing worked with the, that person. They're, they're just impossible. And it's always the other person that's impossible, of course. It's not, it's not them. Um, and so what I did for this book is I interviewed people who consistently, successfully persuade in extreme circumstances. So that is people like hostage negotiators, it's people like peace treaty negotiators, uh, it's people like people who avoided war through their peace, so, sorry, through their negotiation efforts, their influencing efforts. It's billionaires, it's people who can persuade across the political divide. Uh, it's therapists who work with extreme cases. So it really is getting the toughest of cases. And what was really interesting was that these people who were repeatedly successful in such tough circumstances actually ended up using the same method, independently developing the same method. And so that method is the, is, is, is the core of the book. And so if you do find yourself in a hostage negotiation situation, you will be fine, um, but, or a peace treaty situation, but much more day-to-day -day than that. You know, it's, it's at home. It's getting your husband or your wife to tidy, uh, to tidy the kitchen or getting your kids to tidy their toys up or getting that promotion that you deserve or the pay rise you deserve or other work things or, 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 or home and family things, basically. Okay. Yeah, one of my listeners is my wife to this program. She likes to listen to it on long journeys. I don't think we... I want her to listen to it now after... <laughs> This is about win-win, Jerry. So it'll be great if she does listen to it. Yeah, I'm joking, darling. Yeah. <laughs> but what you, what, you, what you just mentioned, of course, uh, sounds like a, a, what was a brilliant modeling exercise. Yeah. You really modeled excellence in this field. Yeah, and, and I absolutely love the process. I spoke to so many super inspiring people that you know who got great results even in such extreme circumstances through this very soft kind approach it's soft 
in the approach, but it's exceedingly robust on the outcome. So, you know, hostage negotiators, for example, don't negotiate. It's, it's a misnomer. They don't say, flight to Cuba and a million dollars, how about half a million and a train ticket to Miami? You know, they don't negotiate. They are exceedingly robust on their outcome, but they take a very soft, rapportful, empathetic approach to achieving that outcome. Okay. And I do believe, because one of the toughest uh, um, change their mind situations that many people encounter is parenting. And I do believe you even, if I'm not mistaken, did you not speak to some people who are kind of advising or experts on the parenting field? Yeah, absolutely. I spoke to a couple of kind of um, parenting coaches or therapists or whatever and asked them their opinion. And, you know, again, quite independently, they developed pretty much the same method as the peace treaty negotiators, as the hostage negotiators and so on. So it is really interesting. Okay, so we're, we're going to get into the. We're going to, going to have a little bit of um, a preview uh, or an appetizer in in a minute or so. Uh, but one of the things that stood out for me is you got some amazing praise for this book from some very prominent influencers. Even some of them have been on this show. Right. I was quite 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 impressed, and I even noticed some others quoted in the book and that. Um, so the other thing is the book is full of stories and case examples. So consistent with what you said, it's not Simon Horton coming up with some sort of great theory and plan. You've actually gone out and asked people. So you've got lots of stories, case examples, and humor. I know you are, and I know there's going to be plenty of that. But I also like to ask you about this childhood experience you, you, you mentioned briefly uh, of the dinner table civil war. And <laughs> And how it influenced you. And it's something that I, as an Irish person, and many of my Irish, probably even British listeners, could identify, those of whom are old enough. So maybe just what was that, what was the nature of that? And how did that influence the way you started to look at the world after that? Yeah, sure. So... I'm I'm Essex man, okay, born and bred in in Essex, and my dad is or was uh, uh, an English Protestant, and my mum was Irish Catholic, uh, and and I was brought up in the seventies, and and I remember you know as a ten year old. Regularly, you know, this is the 70s was the time of the troubles, obviously, and regular incidents going off uh, either in Northern Ireland or in the mainland over here and on the news, and, and, and it was regularly on the news. And every time a bomb did go off, the Civil War kicked off at our dining table, um, one blaming the other and, and so on. And I remember even as a 10-year-old thinking, hold on, we don't have to have this kind of conversation, we can talk about it in a different way, in a better way. And I I really do think subconsciously that has channeled my my career, basically, down this route of let's find better ways. Whether we're talking about across the dining table, let's find a better way to solve that problem, uh, to have that conversation, or whether we're talking at a national level, at a... um, Good Friday agreement level, you know, how can we have those kinds of conversations uh, more successfully? Because uh, ultimately it boils down to the same thing. Yeah. So that that's probably a great segue then to the six steps to give people a flavor 
of these one, six wonderful things. I mean, the great thing about six is it's, it's easy enough to remember them all. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they follow, from what I can see, they follow a kind of a logical flow. Yeah. So they make sense when they, you put them together. So let, let's dive in a little bit now to, to and explain to people what it is and, and why that why it is so important uh, yeah. to, to helping you help maybe convince other people or persuade people about other things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So six steps. First step is know what you want and aim high. You know, I'm encouraging people to be ambitious. And chapter one is titled Aim High. Be ambitious. And I'm not a fan of compromise. I'm not saying, you know, sort of, oh, to get your outcome, you've got to give here and you've got to give up on that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the opposite. Absolutely go for an ambitious goal. One of the, you know, you mentioned the people who I interviewed and some of their stories. One of the people I interviewed was a a billionaire. And what was really impressive about this person was they were obviously super intelligent, as you might imagine, tremendously charismatic, as you might imagine, tremendously ambitious, as you might imagine. What was really interesting about them was how ambitious they were for the other person as well. They were really ambitious for the other person. And the other person would say, oh, we want to get X from this deal. And this person, this billionaire would go, no, not X. We can get you much more than that. You know, we can get you five times X. And then the other party would go, oh, Oh, this sounds interesting. Yeah, I'm in on this deal. And now they're bringing all their energies to help bring about his ambitious outcome. Uh, So this is how he got his ambitious goals by also being ambitious for the other party. So lots more to that, obviously. Uh, But step one, know your outcome and aim high. Step two. Can I just interrupt? Isn't there a thing there about also clarity? Yes. You You can only get to Rome if you know where Rome where, is. Yes, that's right. And where you are right now as well, kind of thing. Because, yeah. you know, is it north or is it south? Depends on where you are right now. So, exactly. Yeah. There's a that clarity. Absolutely. So, then step two is we know what we want now, let's, but let's not dive straight in to making our demands or whatever. Firstly, let's do our research. And chapter two is called Look for Clues. You know, what do we know about that other person? What do we know about their world, about what's going on for them, their drivers, their values, all of this kind of stuff? Um, because all of this information and again, there's tons that, you know, that, you know, that in, in there, uh, is going to help you find the right way to formulate your message, to formulate and frame the message specifically for that person so that they are more likely to say yes. So if you know, ultimately, if you know how they make their decisions, their mental processes, how they make their decisions, you can then frame your message in such a way that they do are more likely to say yes kind of thing. So, so that's step two. Step one, know your goal and aim high. Step two, do your research, look for clues. Step three, again, we're not diving in with our, um, uh, with, 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 our, with our proposal, but we listen. You know, the thing is, if you want them to listen to you, well, you've got to go first and listen to them first. That you cannot expect them to listen to you unless you go first and listen to them. And you've got to listen to them deeply. And it's not just um, it's not just listening per se. It's 
demonstrably listening. I think people have got this very deep need to feel listened to. And if you can address that and really satisfy that need, that's half of it. Because now, and only now, are they going to be willing to listen to you? So you've got to, you know, and it is that idea of listen to understand and not refute. Uh, typically, we listen to refute. So we listen for that thing that we can jump in on and go, ah, yeah, but. Um, and then if we do that, what are they going to do? They do the same. They listen to us until they hear that one thing they can jump in on and go, ah, yeah, but. And we have a conversation of yeah, buts, and it gets nowhere. Uh if we really listen to understand and then play it back to them, play back their message better than they could have put it themselves, then they're going to go, yeah, this person really has listened to me. Okay, I'm now willing to, to listen to them. Yeah. One, one of our, it reminds me of what, what one of our mutual friends, Robert Dulce, used to say, you know, show people that they've been seen and heard yes. as a human being yes. because it's going to make because so many people don't feel that in today's world. Yeah, it, 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 exactly that, exactly that. Whether whether they don't feel that kind of in the, in the local context, in the family or whatever, or whether they don't feel it in the wider thing, uh, that the, the rest of the world seems to completely disagree with their viewpoint or whatever, it is that, yeah, I don't feel listened to. And, and if I don't feel listened to, ultimately I'm going to get really angry and I'm probably going to, do something about that that isn't good kind of thing until or but if but if i do feel listened to i as you said i do feel using a different channel i do feel seen then i'm now yeah willing to have that conversation properly yeah yeah so uh then we have chapter four or step four uh be strong uh and so i am encouraging people to build their strength in the conversation, in the negotiation, whatever strength might mean, uh, and strength can mean all kinds of things. Uh, it can mean having more resources than the other person. It can have, mean having a, a, a better argument or being prepared, or it can be um, your personal strength that you project, whatever it might be, a million different things, and creativity is part of that. And the key thing here is that you build that strength not to use it, but precisely so you don't have to use it. So to, to, to exp explain that, the, um, if we take the hostage negotiation situation, you've got the softly spoken hostage negotiator, usually called Denzel or Bruce, uh, who, and, and they lead the conversation. But you've got the SWAT team there as well. And the SWAT team is a important part of it and the SWAT team is there so that you don't have to use the SWAT team if that makes sense so the, the SWAT team is there so you don't have to use it let's say you didn't have the SWAT team there then maybe the hostage taker is, is more they're more likely to resort to violence because there isn't a SWAT team and so they could probably get away with it uh, and Therefore, that would require a SWAT team to resolve the situation. But if the SWAT team is there and in place and, you know, everything clicked, uh, loaded and kind of thing, then the hostage taker is much less likely to resort to violence because there's no point. They won't get away with it, which means they're going to be more collaborative. So, and that means you don't need the SWAT team. 
So paradoxically, having the SWAT team in place means you are less likely to need a SWAT team. In other words, it just makes it makes them more likely to be collaborative. So the, the other thing that pops into my mind in, in, when you talked about this is it, it's a little bit of that martial art thing in there that you know you 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 you, you know you have the strength. Yeah. If you needed it. But you actually don't actually proactively use it. Exactly. You just engage with what the other person brings to you, yeah. and you use that energy to play back. Is that, is that would that also be a, a, a yeah, very, very, yeah, very much like that. You know, there's the famous phrase. Uh, I think it was Theodore Roosevelt: "Talk softly and carry a big stick." And it's that same thing. You know, if you've got that big stick, that gives you the confidence to talk softly and be collaborative. Yeah, or I think Fisher and you used to say, "Be soft on the people and tough on the issues." Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've personally found it incredibly valuable to really spend time thinking through the pros and cons of the conversations I'm going to have, knowing that it depends on what the other person says is important to them. Knowing, as you said, asking those questions to pick up the clues, listening for. What 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 are they actually saying to me instead of what yeah. I thought they might say? Yeah. And, and then, as you say, you may not need to be tough because maybe it's all in your head that did you yeah. have to go in fighting? But actually, sometimes people are very happy to go. Well, if you just give me this, yeah, I, I will agree to this. And you go, you you want that? Oh, but that's easy. I give no problem giving yeah. that because because it's not so important to me. I can always accommodate it. Yeah. In fact, in fact, you, you know, you, you you raise a really important point there. I often think that. You know, that fear of, oh, it's going to be a fight is in our head. We're hallucinating that. And because we're hallucinating that, we go in looking for the fight and then, you know, ready for that fight. And they see us going in like this. So they respond in the same. And and so it ends up at a fight. And we go, yeah, I was right. See, I knew they were like that. But it was partly as a function of our behavior because we were hallucinating it in the first place. So if we can change that, and if we can uh, kind of drop our ego, drop the, 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 the negative visualizations that we have, if you like, in our mind, and just go in neutral, then and, and that you know, or, or even better, visualizing a, a positive outcome. Uh, then it, we're much like more likely to get that. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, a tough thing for most most of us as human beings to do yes. is when we get into a situation where there might be some pushback or whatever conflict is. Yeah. To be able to ask yourself, how did I could create or contribute to that? Yeah. And not always say it's them. And that's very tough. It's, it's not easy to do it. It's easy yeah. to say it, but it's not easy to do it. I, I and when you, when you can do it, 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 it's amazing how it helps you. Absolutely. I, I, I say with that, there, there's bad news and good news about that. The bad news is, means that if, if, if their behavior is a function of ours, well, the bad news means we can't blame them anymore. And that's a real shame because blaming is great. You know, it's, it's, it's really nice fun kind of thing. But if we can't blame them anymore, we can't do that. But the good news is it does put us back in control. It does put us back in, in a position of power that we can now do something different within our capabilities to get a different outcome with them. Yeah. So that's four. That's what four. About five, five and six. Five and six. Five and six. So- in the next part of our conversation, Simon covers steps five and six and explains his seven ways to ensure better ethics.
and why using clickbait is never a good idea. So, back to Simon. Five is co-create the solution. So this is, again, work together. You know, it's that idea that you've got half the solution, they've got half the solution. Neither of you have a monopoly on the solution. So you've got to work together to find the right solution. And and this is part of the ethical aspect of it. You know, we were, t- uh, we were talking about deep listening, that the, um, the ethical bit of it is really the fact it's based on deep listening to the other person and co-creating the solution so that both parties really do go away happy with that outcome and I do believe that it's always possible to do that uh, and then if you if they go away happy with that outcome well now you know it's going to be sustainable and the next time you meet them or have a conversation or there's a negotiation or whatever you know that's going to go well because that they trust you and they know that uh, they're going that you're not tricking them or, or anything like that. So chapter five is, is co-creating the solution. And then uh, chapter six is about the framing and just that we're only now as, as chapter six, as step six, kind of finally putting our message across. We did it a little bit in the co-creating bit, but sort of um, all the, Typically, in a persuasion situation, we dive straight in with our out with our proposition or our desired outcome. And what it turns out is that the successful persuaders hold it back until the end, having done all the listening, having done the research and the looking for clues, and having worked with them to try and find out where there is a good solution. And then now. Have, after all of that, they know the right way to put their message across for that given individual. They know the best way to put their proposition in a way that is going to land. And so that, that's what we talk about, the specifics of, um, of how you frame your message, of how you communicate. So I, I, I imagine then, excuse me. <coughs> so I imagine then that... In each of these chapters, there's loads of tips and tools and and methodologies and everything that you've extracted from these wonderful, successful people that people can then test out for themselves. Yeah, exactly that. You know, I I like my books and my workshops to be firstly interesting. So hence the interviews with all of these amazing people uh, and they're amazing. You know, some of the stories are are really quite Shakespearean uh, uh, in in there. Secondly, I want it to be really practical. So there's all kinds of kind of top tip sections and uh, seven steps for doing this or six ways for doing this kind of thing. Lots of those little breakout boxes where I've kind of itemized it into bullet points, do this, do this, do this, do this kind of thing, uh, just to make it really practical. Okay. And then as a, as it probably a really useful example of that for, for our listeners, you, you talk about ethical persuasion, you use the phrase, do no harm. And of course, when you mentioned it earlier, and a lot of people, you know, you address a lot about persuasion, but the question that always keeps coming up is, is this not a form of manipulation. So you have you have one useful guidance called the seven ways to ensure better ethics. Could we share a little bit of that? Maybe some of it. Maybe if, if you don't have. Yeah, all yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I won't go through it all just to, just for time purposes. But you know, one is 
make sure it's, it's as much for their benefit as for yours. You know, absolutely, it's for your benefit. That's the point of this conversation. But if they think it's all about your benefit, they're not gonna they're not gonna come along for the ride. But if they know that you you're trying to help them achieve their benefit, then they will, and then that and that's that's ethical. Secondly, be open about your intentions um, and give them the opportunity to say no. Paradoxically, they are more likely to say yes if you make it quite clear that it's okay if they say no. Uh, and then they're more likely to say yes. Uh, and the, the other test that I always have is, would you mind them doing it to you? Or yeah. would you mind them doing it to your mum or, 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 or something? You know, sort of, uh, and, and, and if, you can, if it passes that test, then it's probably ethical. Yeah. It's that old thing about when you're about to do something, trying to imagine what it would be like if you were the other, even when something comes up and somebody comes and says, ah, you can't believe what that person is just going to do. And then one of my first reactions is oh, try and jump into their shoes, you know, yeah. like um, what, what could it be that would have them behave in that way? There must be yeah. something important that's driving that reaction. It may not be something that's appropriate or that I agree with. At the same time, it's like if I was in that person's shoes, maybe I would feel the same. Or if I was in that person's shoes, I might be inclined to do the same, etc. So, so sorry, yeah, absolutely, and, and indeed, perhaps have I actually done that myself in the past yes. in a similar but different context or something? And the, you know, the answer is nearly always yes. You know, it's very easy. In it's you know, it's fundamental. What's it called? Fundamental attribution error. That when they do that, when, when I when I do the mis- make the mistake, well, of course, anybody would have made that mistake in that situation. You know, so uh, given the circumstances, of course, it was a, a natural conclusion to, to come to. If somebody else makes the mistake, oh, they're a fool, they're an idiot, and they deserve everything they get. Um, and this is what we do. This is what we do. It's, it's very difficult to, again, remove our ego from the perspective and, and understand it from a more objective, neutral perspective. Hmm. I, I, I'm actually in reading some work. So it's very old work, actually, from a professor called Robert Quinn. And one of, he's, ta- he's talking about master management, master leaders and that. And he was saying that in all the studies he had done and others had done, one great characteristic that he found in people who were really effective as leaders or managers was the ability to not see failure as failure but to see it as 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 hiccup or uh, yeah. you know see something that didn't work therefore there must be and this he's talking about the ability to hold this paradoxical world that the apparently contradictory and 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 the, the one thing he's trying to explain is that it's about this ability to 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 see what's going on and and, and sense it and then adapt you know, get rid of Maslow's hammer and adapt and say, actually, this approach isn't quite working here. Maybe I need something else that's in my toolbox, which comes back to make sure you prepare, etc. Yes. To know that there's versatility there that you can draw on if you need it, right? And, and knowing that, knowing that it's not a one-shot situation and that you've got the versatility and the other tools uh, 
available to you. It's that that enables you to be ambitious. Because if, if, yes. if, if you just thought, oh, I've got to get it right and I've only got this one shot of going, well, you're probably going to set quite a limited goal. But if you know that, no, this is that this first go might well be just that, the first go. And then you'll learn from that and you'll use a different approach or whatever. And then you might get it on the second go or you might get it on the third go or the fourth go or whatever. And that enables you to be more ambitious with, with, with your outcomes. Yeah. And there's just, there's just one other little key thing that I think probably listeners will find interesting is, I mean, you, you talk about intentionality uh, in, in this thing about ethics and yeah. that and this is this really is so fundamental to things not being manipulative if your intention is to manipulate the other person and you're going to come across at some stage like he's trying to pull or she's trying to pull a fast yeah. one or often it's it's about saying what is my true intention here and and how is that good for me and the other person is, exactly. that, is that is that what you're trying to communicate in this yeah yeah it's exactly that it's exactly that Now, a word from one of our sponsors. How much impact and influence do your leaders really have? Could increased self-awareness make them more effective at building relationships, achieving results, and providing direction? At Wide Circle, we have the tools to provide these valuable insights so you can ensure that your leadership development programs are targeting the right areas. And we train you to use these tools so you don't need us to do it all for you. To learn more, go to widecircle.eu forward slash leadership influence, all one word. You know, I sometimes view it like clickbait. Clickbait, you know, works once and once only. And you'll never, you know, and it works that once and you'll never fall for that trick again uh, and go to that website again or, or, or whatever. And it's the same with these kind of, you know, a lot, a lot of these kind of mind hacks kind of thing that you, you, you read about in a lot of influencing books these days. And I think they work once and once only. And you've lost the trust. Whereas if you do take this ethical approach, it's, it's much more effective over the long term and it makes things easier and easier and easier on all subsequent interactions. Yeah. And a lot of those those so-called so kind of clever websites, it, it becomes a numbers game. It's, it's about yeah. getting enough people to keep coming in, but you're yeah. not treating them as people. You're treating no. them as, as numbers, basically. Exactly. Um, and, and you're right. The amount of people who say, I got suckered into that. I, yeah. I went on one of those clever webinars and the guy eventually, I, I thought, okay, I couldn't resist the offer. And then I found that actually it was an empty box at the yeah. end of the day. Exactly. I, could, you know, I didn't really get anything that special. Yeah. Um, and as you say, you never buy it twice. No, that's right. That's right. And, you know, uh, and it's a shame that the world has gone down that route. And, it's, uh, and I don't think it has to. And I think the world, you know, even the individual, you know, even for selfish reasons, you'll get better outcomes if you take this more uh, authentic uh, approach. Yeah. Well, if you take the concept that's very prevalent, and we're coming to the end anyway now, but this concept of sustainability, and you're starting to see it more now, companies are pumping out a lot of reports, and the sustainability, a big sustainability dimension is the social and people dimension, yeah. because they've just realized there's no point in talking about climate change and everything else if people aren't on board. Yeah. Yet, yet there's something sustainable about the approach you're proposing. 
Yeah, totally, totally. You know, I, I often people think view influencing as a your outcome or the relationship. You can either have a good relationship, but you don't get your outcome, or you can be, uh, you know, make sure you get your outcome, and who cares if that spoils the relationship? Whereas I think it's the opposite, that actually the best influencing gets you your outcome, even your ambitious outcome, and it improves the relationship at the same time. And then if you can do that, if you can do, you know, given that we're influencing all the time, if you can influence in such a way that you get your outcome and improve the relationship at the same time, if you can do that at home, at work, with your friends, with, with your clients, everywhere you go, it improves every aspect of your life. Um, so it seems a bit of a no-brainer to me to do that. Okay. So, Simon, what's next for Simon Horton? I mean, you're delivering, I guess, a lot of workshops still. And uh, But what, what's next on the horizon? Is there some great big outcome that you're aiming towards? Or are you just basically going out and helping people with really implement this stuff? It's, it's exactly that, going out and helping as many people implement this. I, I am doing this because... As you mentioned, going going back to my 10-year-old self, and I saw the war going on in Northern Ireland, and I saw my family arguing, and both of those I thought could be done better. And the, the the point of the book and the point of my workshops and everything is to help people in that respect. And the more people that can work in this kind of way. Firstly, at an individual level, the more people I'm, I'm helping, but also they spread that way of working. Their uh, example will spread that further. Uh, and so the more, the less wars we're going to get, the less, uh, I, I believe the less wars we're going to get, the less failed projects, the less bankrupt businesses, and, and the less divorces, and the less... Um, childhood traumas and such like we, we will get basically so that, that's what it's all about now, if enough people adopt yeah. these ethical approaches then they become role models for others exactly that exactly that yeah okay so so I've put some links in the show notes and uh, how can how can people get in touch with you they can get in touch with me through my website so my website is negotiationmastery.com with a hyphen between negotiation and mastery or just send me uh, uh, an email at simon at negotiation hyphen mastery.com or connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at the Simon Horton I am the Simon Horton uh, so anyway or, or they can you know loiter outside my flat whatever they want to do i am on the 18th floor so it'll probably be a bit dangerous for them um if they did do that but unless they're batman or something and they can climb up the batman, walls. if he wants to do that that's fine that's fine yeah okay well simon as always it's been a true pleasure and on behalf of my listeners i'd really like to thank you for sharing your insights tips and wisdom with us all today my pleasure jerry thanks very much for having me here and if it helps anybody that, that that's what it's all about cheers you for tuning in to this week's episode you'll find details of what we covered in the show with links etc in the show notes please share your key takeaways from today's guest and let your friends and colleagues know about the podcast oh and if there's a particular author or leading thinker you'd like me to interview just get in touch and i'll do my best to get them on the show 
This episode was brought to you by Wide Circle, helping you make better talent decisions. To learn more, visit widecircle.eu. That's W-I-D-E-C-I-R-C-L-E dot E-U. Until next time.